of a slow start. We'll get into the, uh, the discussion, and hopefully we'll have some other folks who come and join us. Uh, but as you can see on our first slide this morning, we're talking about enduring suffering and sickness. Uh, this is another, uh, another reminder that uh, if I'm not preaching, you probably shouldn't take anything I say as gospel truth, because I told you that I was not going to do PowerPoint slides uh, all semester, but I find that they really help me when I'm doing something topical. When I'm teaching through a text, I like to just look at the text and we can walk through the text together. When I'm teaching something topical, I really it helps me to organize my thoughts, and hopefully it helps you to, to see my thoughts. Uh, and for us to be on the same page together. Um, plus, we're going to have uh, several quotes, several scripture passages, so this may be the direction we go for the, for the fall is, uh, with lots of PowerPoint slides, and I think you'll be all right with that. But let's begin uh, with some prayer, and then we'll talk about enduring suffering and sickness. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you that you're the one who has appointed all of our days. You're the one who has uh, given us health and sickness, the one who leads us in paths of adversity and hardship, and, uh, and other times, or perhaps for other people, you lead them or you lead us uh, through times of health and vigor, uh, and you do it all, uh, as you say in your word, for the good of your people, for the glory of your name. As we consider these things together today, we pray that you would give us uh, hearts of wisdom uh, to number our days, to understand what it is you're doing among the children of men. We pray that you would give us uh, a hopefulness in you. Uh, give us a trust in your sovereign plan and your good direction over our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just uh, the landscape for where we're headed over the next several weeks. Today, we're talking about suffering and sickness. Lord willing, next week, we're going to talk about Christians and secular work. And then October 17th, I'm going to be away with my wife. Uh, for our anniversary, and uh, Rob Steele is going to lead a session on practicing hospitality. He really is uh, the one that you want to hear from on hospitality, uh, though there may be uh, a little bit of an intimidation factor. If you've ever experienced the hospitality of the Steele home, you may come away saying, does hospitality have to look like this? Uh, and I am confident that Rob will say, no, it, it doesn't have to be prime rib uh, and Mexican grilled corn, but, uh, but it could be, it could be. Um, so Rob's going to talk about hospitality. We discussed that, yeah. He, he talked about doing it from the kitchen uh, and having one of those, like, uh, when I was in home ec class in high school, the teacher had, like, a little booth with a mirror on top, and you could watch what she, so yeah, so we're going to get one of those. Yep, yep, we're going we're gonna to expense that. We've got that buy new, replace old, so we're going to get one of those home ec carts, and he's gonna, there's going to be a little cooking show for Rob. He's going to love it. Um, now, Rob is, Rob is the guy uh, that you want to hear from on hospitality, and just before we get any further, uh, let me say that I feel like I'm not the guy you want to hear from on suffering and sickness. Um, this is one of those topics like prayer that if you teach on it, it feels like you ought to be an expert on it, and everybody who teaches on it feels like they're not expert enough. Uh, I was, in fact, hanging out at, at Rob's house not too long ago, and Rob and, uh, and Jerry were both there, Jerry Wheaton, and they were talking about uh, a pastor that they had. I don't uh, remember his name, but some of you may remember if you were there. He was, uh, he was a pastor of, uh, of Grace Chapel in Lexington uh, years ago, and they talked about how uh, he had lost his daughter, tragically. Uh, his daughter died, and then they talked about how after that, his ministry was different. His ministry was different in the sense that when he talked about suffering, people took him really seriously because they knew he, what he was talking about. Now, I, I don't in any way uh, envy the sufferings of other people, but there is a, a certain gravitas that we get when we hear from people who have gone through the deep waters of suffering, uh, and so I hope today to lean on the shoulders uh, of a few uh, experts, we might say, in, uh, in suffering, people who have gone that direction before us, uh, to get some wisdom from them. Of course, we get the wisdom of God's word, ultimately, as our, uh, as our prime uh, example and, and our, our prime uh, expert witness on suffering. But I'm also hoping that today, uh, some of you may be able to add uh, some thoughts uh, to our discussion. I'm hoping we've got a, a section at the beginning where we're going to talk about some theological foundation 
and then the rest of it, what I hope to be the majority of our time together today, is going to be discussion and talking through how do we apply some of these issues. And some of you know what it is to go through suffering far more than I do. And I, I'm hoping that we will uh, we'll be able to encourage one another and grow in wisdom together. So that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. Grab your Bible and open to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. It might be helpful. We're, uh, we'll have a few other uh, passages later. This isn't going to be our main, this is one of our main texts to think about, just to tuck in, in the back of our minds this morning. But Psalm 6, just 10 verses. You can find that on page 449 of our card Bibles. Psalm 6 says to the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith, we have no idea what that is, uh, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Uh, thus ends uh, that reading of God's word. Interesting thing about Psalm 6, uh, as we're thinking about suffering and sickness, and one of the reasons that I like teaching Sunday school, because I can't get away with preaching other people's sermons, uh, but I can teach other people's sermons. And, uh, and this week, I listened to an excellent sermon by Derek Thomas on Psalm 6 on suffering and sickness. And he points out in that sermon uh, that Psalm 6 is, um, well, it's known as one of the penitential psalms. There are several of them, I, I think less than 10, fewer than 10 uh, classified as penitential psalms in the, in, uh, the Psalter. Uh, but what's unique about this one is that nowhere in this psalm does David say, forgive me. Uh, it's classified typically as a penitential psalm, but David is not crying out and saying, oh Lord, I'm in the wrong, please forgive me. He's simply crying out for God to be gracious to him. He's suffering something. A good case can be made that he's, he's suffering some sickness. It, it may be a, a spiritual malaise. It may be spiritual suffering, but it may also be uh, a physical suffering, and, and many of us are aware of the way that those two uh, have an interplay between them. But but here is David, and the language sounds an awful lot like the language of Job. Um, oh, where was it? Maybe not. Um, oh, I thought this was the one where the, uh, the arrows... Nope, never mind. Uh, it does sound an awful lot like Job. Um, it, it's the idea there that the Lord is... Uh, is perhaps angry uh, that there is some wrath for something, uh, that he is searching for God's graciousness. His bones are troubled, his soul is troubled, and he's waiting for the Lord. And so there's, there's some suffering going on here, and I think often in the Psalms it's helpful for us uh, that they don't get too uh, explicit, too specific for us, so that we can't apply them also to whatever suffering we happen to be going through. And this is just a good word for us in whatever suffering we're in. And then uh, secondly, I've got this one on the screen here for us. John chapter 11, we know the passage, the resurrection of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, for it is the, for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We know how the story turns out. We're not going to look at the whole thing. I just wanted to pull up 
these first six verses, and specifically uh, verse 3 and verse 5. Verse 3, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Uh, They're making their petition to Christ. Notice that they are not making their petition on the basis of Lazarus' love for Jesus, but they're making their petition on the basis of Jesus' love for Lazarus. And there is uh, no disjunction between those two thoughts. This is what we're going to see as we lay a little bit of a a theological foundation for thinking about sickness and suffering, that we can't say either God loves you or you'll endure suffering. That's not uh, a binary choice. And it tells us there, uh, verse 5, it affirms, in case we're wondering if, uh, if uh, Mary uh, maybe got it wrong, it affirms in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and yet he's sick, and in fact he waits. And he waits because there's something more important than the sickness and even the death that Lazarus has to go through, and the Lord is using these things for his own glory. We'll look at uh, a parallel passage in, in John chapter 9 in a little bit as we, as we consider this. What is God doing with our sickness? What is God doing with our suffering? Uh, is it because he stopped loving us? And the answer, of course, is no. Now, uh, direction for today, we're going to spend, as I mentioned, a little bit of time laying a foundation. I hope not too terribly much. Uh, and then we're going to talk in two practical ways. One, enduring suffering for yourself and two, enduring suffering with another, because uh, we all at various times fall into one of those two categories. And maybe uh, you're not a person who who struggles with your own sickness, but there's somebody in your life, somebody you know, and you're walking with them through deep valleys, and so we want to talk about both of those things today. Now, laying a foundation for us, I think what we need to do is just have a a basic theological understanding so that we can navigate what it is that we're thinking about when we're thinking about sickness and suffering. And so I have uh, several truths that we need to keep in mind. Uh, The first truth is that Scripture honestly acknowledges the breadth of human suffering. You can look in Scripture and you can find basically everything that we deal with today, Uh, There is nothing new under the sun, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Uh, There are maybe different variations. There is COVID instead of some other disease that has been known. There are uh, cancers that uh, were unobservable before, but uh, things seem to be different. But no, Scripture tells us that all the sicknesses we endure are variations on a theme and tells us about all of them. There are many different kinds of sufferings. Uh, Scripture never paints over with rosy colors or or looks through rosy glasses uh, on the suffering that we endure in in our lives. And so we see in Scripture bodily ailments, both among saints and among sinners. We see see the suffering of sins committed against us, uh, those that we would would see as innocent and yet assailed. Uh, Sometimes that shows up in, in terms of Christian persecution. Sometimes it's simply... Uh, the depravity of man. Sometimes we see disappointments in life, and that is a source of suffering for us. We see psychological suffering. We can over-psychologize the Bible sometimes uh, and try and fit it into our modern understanding, but you can certainly see, as you look through the pages of the Bible, uh, examples of psychological suffering where we say, well, this is is not uh, a physical issue, but it's, it's an issue of what today we would call the psyche, what then they would mostly call the heart, a heart sickness. And so you think perhaps of Hannah. Hannah, a perfectly healthy woman, and yet her womb is closed. And it's this barrenness, it's this childlessness uh, that plagues her, and so she can't eat, she can't sleep. She's like a sick woman, and this psychological suffering affects her body. There's spiritual suffering as well. There's guilt, there's despondency. As you look throughout the pages of Scripture, we have, uh, we have no room to say, here is a book that has nothing to say to what we're going through. Now, this is a book that knows us, that teaches us more about ourselves and more about our uh, suffering in the world than we already know. And it's a perfect place to go and, uh, and to think about uh, what the Lord has to say about our sickness. Okay, so that's our first truth. The second truth is that all sickness and suffering is the result of sin. God made all things good and perfect in the beginning. 
where did death enter in but through the sin of man and the curse of the sin. Uh, if sin had not come into the world, we would live in a perfect existence. No strife, uh, no competition between us, uh, no bodies breaking down, no COVID-19, no cancers, no, uh, no premature death, no stillborn babies, no miscarriages. Uh, it all comes in because of sin, but remember, remember, not every sickness is punishment for a specific sin. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there are sins that carry with it uh, suffering that is uh, logically connected to the sin that, that was committed. You spend your life drinking and abusing alcohol, you should expect to, to find cirrhosis of the liver. Right? There's a suffering there, but the suffering is, is connected to the sin that's engaged in. Same thing with gluttony. Uh, not always, uh, but you might expect uh, to, to deal with heart disease and weight problems and all that comes along with it. And, and there are things like that. There are uh, sexually transmitted diseases that come along with certain sins, but, uh, but sometimes we see in the pages of Scripture God actually sends sickness as a chastisement for people who were engaged in sin. And we see this often in, in the Old Testament uh, but we get a sense for it sometimes in the New Testament. But scripture is very clear that not every sickness is punishment for a specific sin. And there's that, uh, that parallel passage from John chapter 9. You remember it well. Uh, there's the man who was born blind. He's now in his middle age. And the disciples say, who sinned, master? Was it this man in the womb somehow? Was it this man or was it his parents that this man was born blind? They're, they've got this sort of one-for-one equation in their minds that sickness is always the result of a direct sin, and Jesus says it doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. Right? Sin has ushered all of our suffering into this world, but we can't just trace back the suffering that we're dealing with now to some wrong thing that we've done or some wrong thing that we've thought. And so we need to make sure that we're not going in the wrong direction. Sickness is, is not a Christian version of karma, and suffering is, is not... Uh, the way that God slaps our hands to tell us we've been naughty boys and girls in his kingdom. Right? Sometimes there's suffering, and there's suffering for God's own purposes. And that's our next, uh, next thought here. This is a, a sword drill. I need several people to grab some scripture. Uh, Dave Babbitt, will you get Exodus chapter 4, verse 11? Uh, Greg Glancy, will you get Psalm 115, verse 3? Any volunteers? Mike, will you get Daniel 4.35? Yeah, Clara, can you get Lamentations 3.38, John, Isaiah 45.7, and Jay, Ephesians 1.11. And we're just going to go through them quickly. You're going to hear them. We're not going to make much comment. But the idea here is that God is sovereign over our sickness and suffering. And of course God is sovereign over our sickness and suffering because God is sovereign over everything. And that's what these verses are going to tell us. We'll begin in Exodus. So we have these, uh, what we call birth defects, these anomalies, and also the result of sin, and yet the Lord says he's the one who directs it. He's the one who is sovereign over those things, and he even uses it for his own purposes as he used those things in the life of Moses. Psalm 115. Greg? <clears throat> That's pretty simple. And we say, well, what's left out? Well, if he does everything that he pleases, uh, is there anything that he doesn't please that he does? No. <laughs> His arm is not twisted. He is, he is not cajoled into doing something that he does not want to do. He is the Lord over all creation. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. Is that Mike? Thank you. <clears throat> Who can stop the Lord from doing what he pleases? Nobody, says Daniel. Uh, Clara, you had Lamentations 3.38? Okay. Not leaving out anything there. And there's a, there's a parallel passage. Uh, I think we'll find it in, in Isaiah. But 
uh, encompassing. You know, we want to go to Scripture and say, the Lord is the Father of all good gifts. Uh, And the language there in Lamentations, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the word actually is evil. Not evil in the sense, and that's why most English translations don't render it as evil. Uh, Not evil in the sense that God is out to get you or he's somehow diabolical. But the things that we look at, evil from our perspective, that we say, this is enjoyable or this is unenjoyable. This is good. This is suffering. And Lamentations says it all comes from God. All of it. Both sides of it. Keep your mind and and your eyes on Lamentations. We're going to trace out a few themes in Lamentations as we keep going. Speaking of uh, Isaiah, is that the passage you've got, John? Isaiah 45, 7? Now, that's, uh, is that the King James? They're more bold than we are. They do translate it as evil. Uh, and, uh, and there you've got what Scripture uh, gives us. Uh, it's called a merism, light and darkness, peace and evil. And that means from the top to the bottom and everything in between. Everything comes from the Lord. He does all that he pleases. And then Jay has Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 11. Works all things according to the counsel of his will. So one more. And, and you know, uh, I don't need to convince you or I'm not going to convince you today of God's sovereignty. We, we hold that as a tenet of faith, especially in the Reformed tradition. But we need to know that God is sovereign over our sickness and suffering. We need to know also that God is good. God is good. And those two things are not uh, in opposition to one another, just like we saw before, sickness and uh, Jesus' love for Lazarus. Those are not in opposition to one another. Uh, Jesus loved Lazarus and he was sick. God is sovereign over our sickness and he is good. Jay? What we'll see, we're going to look at a few um, quotes and a few resources later. Um, I think people in a past generation for whom suffering was harder to escape are more bold in this direction than we are today. And the first place they go, at least these pastors, the first place they go when they're dealing with sickness and suffering is to God's sovereignty. It's not the last place, as it often is today, where we try to figure it out, and then at the end we resign ourselves to saying, well, I guess God is sovereign. No, no, no. They start there. That is the primary comfort for many throughout the ages of Christendom, where we say, how do I deal with this struggling and this suffering that I'm going through? And normally, in past generations, they start with God's sovereignty. And I think there's something we can, we can learn there. So let me, uh, let me convince you of this. Lamentations has just told us that God creates uh, evil and good, or, or hard things and easy things, we might put it. Lamentations, same chapter, chapter 3, verses 31 to 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. That language there, he does not afflict from his heart, that's what keeps us from saying, well, maybe God is out to get you if you're suffering. Right? Uh, there's, there's this idea, and, and of course, we can't divide God from what he does in his heart and what he does in his mind. He's not like us. He's not divided. He does everything perfectly and good, but it's speaking to us in language that we can hear, language that we can understand. Uh, and this, by the way, if you're familiar with Lamentations, uh, Lamentations is uh, several chapters. I think it's five chapters. Um, And this shows up in the middle. In the middle of all of uh, the the ravages of really what's what's people being taken off into exile in the first two chapters. And then that theme continues in the last two chapters. And right in the middle is this language of God's goodness and his steadfast love. Uh, The whole book, in a sense, is a chiasm. Dave, you can find chiasms everywhere if you're looking for them. Um, and, uh, And right in the center is this this revelation that God is sovereign and God is good. And so laying this foundation, we we come to the wrong way to approach it. Uh, Quoted in uh, Jerry Bridges' Trusting God, 
used to be trusting God even when life hurts. Now it's just trusting God. Uh, but he quotes Rabbi Harold Kushner, a book that came out in the 80s, when bad things happen to good people. And here's what Rabbi Kushner has to say. God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives, but sometimes even he can't bring that about. Mm. It's too difficult even for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. It's too hard. Right, right. If Rabbi Harold, with his infinite wisdom, could see the end for all of these things that are assaulting people now, well, then Rabbi Harold maybe could, could show us the right way. The, the, the question here is this age-old question of, is God good or is God powerful? Because if he's one, he must not be the other because we see that we're suffering. It sets up this, uh, this false dichotomy. You've got to choose one or the other, and Scripture never pushes us to choose one or the other. You could, you could go, in fact, uh, C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain, is a really good example of, of how to walk through this, this age-old problem that we run into, uh, this dichotomy of do, do you choose a, a God who's good or a God who's powerful? Uh, well, there's the wrong way. Again, Lamentations, here's the right way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, this language of portion, this is very important in Ecclesiastes, what we're studying uh, during our sermons. Uh, the idea of a portion is our allotment. This is what God has given to us. Uh, and when we think through our suffering, specifically when we think through our suffering that other people are not suffering, this ought to be a comfort for us that this is our portion. What are you going through, dear believer? What are you struggling with? What sickness has come into your life that maybe has not come into somebody else's life? And what place are you tempted to say, I must not be in the right place or God must have forgotten about me because I don't have a life like they have? And Lamentation says, the Lord is my portion. He is my allotment. His sovereign will is over my life, and it's an example of his steadfast love, his mercies that never come to an end. Again, this is a place where I say, you probably don't want to hear from me on these things, because I haven't experienced these things. You want to hear from Scripture. You want to hear from other people who have gone through these things. And, uh, and just a reminder that there's, there's wisdom beyond what we have, and uh, and Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, saw terrible things. And yet he can say, the Lord is my portion, and I will hope in him. He is sovereign. He is good. Now, the last theological proposition that we have here, uh, that God has promised an eternal day without suffering. The suffering that we endure now is temporary. It may not seem that way. If you have a sickness or an affliction that grinds on day after day after day after day and you can't see the end of it, and you have no idea if or when it will ever be over, and there is an encouragement that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Notice, no mourning because people have passed away, no crying because we're disappointed or suffering no pain because our bodies will be fully uh, restored and redeemed. And the former things will have passed away. There's a day coming, and, and the Lord has, has promised it. Now, the, the question then is, uh, what can we do? How can we, how can we think about these things? Before we move into our time of discussion together, and that's the next slide, uh, J.C. Ryle. This is one of the texts that we're going to come back to over and over again uh, throughout this semester. J.C. Ryle, Practical Christianity, uh, and he's got a whole chapter in here on sickness. Uh, J.C. Ryle, like another man that, uh, that I'm uh, going to talk about a little bit later, J.C. Ryle ministered in the late 19th century. Uh, imagine the medical advances and uh, the, uh, the painkillers available in the late 19th century. Uh, and the sicknesses and the understanding of germ theory and all of these sorts of things that are swirling about. Uh, sickness and suffering was everywhere uh, in, in England in this time, everywhere in the world in this time. And he says, how shall we learn to bear sickness patiently when sickness comes to our turn? And he makes the point that it will come to your turn. If not today, it will come. 
maybe at the end of your life, maybe in, in something that you don't expect. How shall we learn to bear sickness patiently? When sickness comes to our turn, we must lay up stores of grace in times of health. We must seek for the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit over unruly temp <coughs> excuse me, over unruly tempers and dispositions. And so uh, J.C. Ryle tells us, get ready. We've been through several theological truths about sickness and suffering, and maybe they don't grab you where you are today, but they will. Uh, maybe they don't grab you where somebody in your life is suffering, but they will. Uh, and he says, be like Joseph. Uh, lay away stores of grace that you can draw from in, in the lean times and the famine years. Uh, and tuck these things away, these truths. Now, I'm hoping to spend a bit more time uh, for the, the rest of our class period together um, having some discussion together. And the first discussion point is how do we endure suffering for ourselves? What if we're the one who's going through the suffering? What if we're the one who has the sickness, who has the pain? Uh, whatever it is, how can we think through? How can we process? How can we, uh, we get through these things? And, and here is maybe where, where you say, wait a minute, I thought, uh, like J.C. Ryle was saying, that we're going to be talking about practical Christianity. And in our minds, practical Christianity is going and doing Christianity. All right, we think of practical Christianity, we think about what will Christians do in the world and how will they shape the world around them, and our theme for today is endurance. It's hanging on, in a sense, and learning to do it well, and that is a big portion of our lives and our portion uh, that the Lord has given to us. And so we want to think about this. The first question I have for you today, what truths, we've been through some of them, and maybe you can think of others. What truths are we most prone to forget when suffering with pain or sickness? And further, how does the length of the suffering affect this? Maybe that should be an effect rather than affect. I don't know. Uh, Nick Pappas can tell you later. Uh, how does the length of the suffering affect this? How does the severity of the suffering affect this? What truths are we most prone to forget while we're suffering? Tim? That God is for us? Why? Now, I, I know you, Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, here's, here's the benefit. Uh, Jay pointed out that, uh, uh, that this month marks five years that I've been the senior pastor here, and he told me it took only nine years to get to five years. So, um, yeah, that takes me longer than some people. But uh, I, I know you, Tim. I know that you know that God is for us right? You're a good, solid, reformed believer, and yet what you're saying is true, and I've seen it in many folks, that, that you can have a good, solid, firm foundation, and that doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted to forget that God is for you. Yep. Yeah. Read it over and over again. Believe it. Teach your children these things. T tell your kids... God is for us, and then suffering knocks on your door, and you go, really? Uh, are we sure? I, I think that's a big one. That's, that's why I spent some time this morning laying this foundation, because it's the foundation we need to have, and that's exactly what Ryle says. We need to lay it aside. We need to hold on to it. We need to be ready before suffering comes, and not in the midst of suffering, uh, because even a solid believer, you will be tempted to imagine or to think or to convince yourself that God must not be for you. Yep. So what's, what's the truth we're tempted to forget, John? There's a lot there in, in James 5. I agree with it. Yep, yep. So what's, what's the nugget in your mind that you say, oh, wow, I forgot about that?
the value of prayer. But God actually works through prayer. He has designed prayer as a means that he is pleased to use to change and affect the lives of his people. And do we believe it? Now, uh, James is often known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's James telling us that if you pray and you don't get better, you must not have enough faith. There's some believers who want you to think that. That if you have enough faith, you will be healed. James says it. The prayer of the righteous will, will raise him up. God will raise him up and he will be healed. Is James telling us that? No, he's, he's telling us here's the way it typically works. Here's the way it sometimes works. But there's also a double meaning there in that raise him up, isn't there? That's the same language Jesus uses in that passage in John chapter 6, that he who believes in me, I will raise him up in the last day, and he will have eternal life. And again, that, that uh, sermon, and maybe I could send it out uh, in an email this week, the sermon from uh, Derek Thomas, he touches on uh, James chapter 5, and he says, well, the Lord may heal you now in your body. He may heal you through your resurrection later. And, and we're not the ones to say which it is, but we also believe in the power of prayer. Right? We do that sort of thing. We, we anoint those uh, who are sick, and we pray over them, and we believe in the power of prayer. But it's easy to forget that. Good. Thanks, John. Mike, I saw your hand, and then I saw Greg. slight and momentary affliction preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. But, as Tim pointed out, when you're in those afflictions, they don't always feel so slight and momentary and they can feel like maybe I've got things backwards. Right? The Psalms tells us, and, and Paul picks it up in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against it? And we're tempted to reverse that. If these things are against me, how could God be for me? And we're tempted to think, well, well, heaven might not be all that great, but this sure is terrible. Yeah, yeah, but we, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of that, that last uh, truth that, that there is an end in sight with no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no mourning. I saw Greg's hand. Yeah, not only is God good, but he is moving all things for the good of his people, for the ultimate good of his people. And the good of his people is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, and so sometimes we need to reevaluate what is good in our eyes, what is God producing. Matt? Yeah, the, the sort of uh, maybe maybe writ small, but the Job syndrome, where while he is still talking, another one came, and while he's still talking, another one came, and sometimes in our sufferings it feels like, isn't this enough? Have, haven't I had enough? Right? And and uh, easy to lose sight of what the Lord's doing in those things. Scott, and then we're going to move on from this one. forgetting grace, thinking that we're entitled to help and ease and comfort uh, and imagining that that is, if it's taken from us somehow, that is a wrong against us. Now, it doesn't, doesn't make it any less suffering. Right? Suffering is suffering, and Scripture doesn't 
Uh, it doesn't tell us we're entitled to health, but it, but it doesn't say, well, sickness isn't really suffering. You know, grab your bootstraps. Put on a happy face, right? It, it doesn't call us to do that either, but, but you're right. Uh, we can sometimes go in the opposite direction. Is why well, I, I ought to be doing better. I'm, you know, I, I'm such a good person. Good things should happen to me. All right, and, and you can ruminate a little bit more on that, but how about this one? Uh, and again, a, a theme in some of the older writers. How can you make the time of your sickness useful? Useful to yourself, useful to others, useful to the Lord. Uh, this is a, a book. It's called A Book of Comfort for Those in Sickness by P.B. Power. If you're sick and suffering or if you know someone who is, this is an excellent little book. I read through this this week and my heart was warmed. Uh, this is written by a man, and the, just the blurb on the back will tell you that he was a minister uh, in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, he entered Church of England ministry about 1846. Uh, he served in churches in various places in the prime of his life, 1865. So 19 years of ministry, his health entirely broke down, and he spent his remaining years as an invalid in retirement in Eastbourne. Now you want to talk about uh, the time and the place that you don't want to be in a home for sick and convalescing people. Again, in the end of the 19th uh, century in, uh, in the UK. And uh, he spent most of his days in a sick bed or in a sick chair. Uh, he had all kinds of suffering and he writes this little book from that experience, a book of comfort for those in sickness. And, and he goes through various uh, struggles, hindrances to being comforted, he calls them. <clears throat> and I'll just read some of the chapter headings. He says... Uh, we need a comfort in our pain. That's one of our hindrances. We need a, a comfort as to our being useless. That's what we think of ourselves when we're sick or suffering. Uh, in our feeling unworthy, in our envious thoughts about others, in being a trouble to others, in the fear that the affliction is going to be long, in the fear that we uh, are going to have to be alone, in the fear that we'll fail and dishonor God at the last. And he goes through all these different things that people who are suffering uh, may struggle with. And he, and he gives us uh, he gives us some comforts through this and, and really just wonderful, wonderful words from a man who's, who's been there himself. But he raises this question, how can you make the time of your sickness useful? Useful to yourself, useful to others, useful to the Lord. What would you say to that? There are various levels of sickness, right? There are various levels of suffering. Some are suffering and they can do things. Some are suffering and they, they can barely think or speak. And so we need to sort of think about where on that spectrum we might be, and how can you make the time of your sickness or suffering useful? Nick. So in, in what sense will, will empathy make your sickness useful? Then I'm going to ask the same about being an example. Yeah, and how often have you been ministered to by somebody else who's suffering and you watch them suffer with faith in the Lord and you say, I don't, I don't know if I have that kind of faith. I don't know if I believe that God is for me the way that person who's suffering far more than I'm suffering believes that God is for them and with them. And it's an example, it's an encouragement. It's, it's really useful to yourself. It's useful to the people around you. Jay?
Yeah, so, so sickness often is something the Lord uses to, to stop us what we are doing and give us space to reevaluate what we ought to be doing and how we ought to be living. As I've been with the elders interviewing people who come in and, and join our church, one of the themes we hear sometimes is that people say, well, I was living this way, but then I had this struggle, I had this sickness, I had this suffering, and it caused me to think all over again about what God's doing in my life. And God uses that as an instrument to move them to greater faithfulness and to draw them to himself. Your thoughts? John? And then Scott? <laughs> I have the same malady. Yeah, good thought. Thank you, John. And I saw Scott. I love that thought, Scott. In fact, that was, that was one I was hoping somebody was going to bring up. This idea that one of the ways you can be useful to the Lord and to others and to yourself in your sickness is to receive help and ministry from other people. The Lord has appointed the means uh, of, uh, of our comfort, of our ministry. He's called people. He's gifted people. He's put people in our lives uh, to serve and to learn humility through service. And we, in our sickness and suffering, may be the opportunity for those people to use the gifts the Lord has put into their life. But we're so proud, we don't want that. We don't want to be, uh, you know, uh, I, no offense to mothers in the room, but mothers want to mother other people, right? And, and sometimes mom is sick and mom needs some help, and that's a humbling thing to have to be, to have to be nursed. Right, to have to be cared for by others. Uh, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the person receiving the service. It's a good thing for the person giving the service that they can grow in the gifting the Lord has, has given them. We're, we're going to keep going in sort of descending order here. I've put together just a few thoughts from some of my reading, uh, some of the things I've encountered. Uh, how can we make it useful? And, and again, at the top, I'm thinking of somebody who's, who's got a light sickness that they can. And at the bottom somebody who has a, a heavy suffering and they can't. Can't what? Well, can't anything. Um, so usefulness, do what you can, especially if you can do something for others. You, you may be laid aside and in bed and, and unable to get out and do things and work. You can call. You can write. You can pray. You can encourage. Uh, do what you can if, if the Lord has put you into that position. Reevaluate what usefulness should look like. Here's that pride thing coming again can be useful to your soul to say, maybe the Lord doesn't want me doing all the things I used to be doing. 
maybe the Lord doesn't want me to be the one who can serve and be the one who can always be counted upon and be the one who can carry everything on my shoulders. Maybe it's useful for me in my own soul to be humbled a little bit and to lay aside a while with him in quietness. Third, be a cheerful, encouraging patient. It doesn't mean that you can't tell other people when you're in pain, but there is a difference between speaking of your experience and grumbling and complaining, and you know it when you see it. Right? And as uh, Nick said, that can be an, an encouragement and example to others. Uh, and again, descending, spend time in prayer, reading, meditation. You're sick, you're laying in bed, you, you can only scroll through Instagram so long. You can only look at so many Facebook posts. You can only read so many articles. Use the time, if the Lord is giving you time for better things. And then what if, what if you can't do anything? Well, it's glorifying to the Lord just to cry out to him. Or maybe you can't formulate a full thought in prayer, but you can cling to him. You can trust in him, even if you can't put the words together as to how you're doing, okay? I remember. I was one of 13. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and remember, we're, we're talking about sickness and suffering. Uh, and sickness tends to be the one that comes to the forefront of our mind, but there are sufferings of disappointment. Sufferings of children not walking with the Lord. There's sufferings of, uh, of a, a wedding that gets canceled. There, there's sufferings of all, all sorts of disappointments in the world. And, uh, and we don't have to just say, well, that's not, that's not serious. It's not worth it. No, no. Uh, it is. Um, but, but there's usefulness there, even in those things. And the Lord often has better plans for our suffering than we think of. Uh, really quickly, this is Richard Baxter. He's talking about melancholy and overmuch sorrow, what today we'd probably call a clinical depression. This is, his, uh, uh, this is his advice. He says, avoid your musings. Exercise not your thoughts now too deeply nor too much. Long meditation is a duty to some, but not to you, no more than it is a man's duty to go to church that hath his leg broken or his foot out of joint. He must rest and ease till it be set again and strengthened. You may live in the faith and fear of God without setting yourself to deep, disturbing thoughts. Why do I bring this up? Because when we talk about usefulness in times of sickness, uh, we Christians who are used to being industrious believers and doing things feel like if I can't pray and read the Bible for 12 hours a day when I'm sick and laying in bed, I must not be doing the right thing. And Baxter says there's a time just to rest in the Lord, <laughs> and that's okay, and to recognize the suffering and uh, J.C. Ryle says the same thing, again, out of practical Christianity. I believe the passive graces of Christianity receive far less notice than they deserve. Meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, faith, patience. They're all mentioned in the word of God as fruits of the Spirit. They are passive graces which specifically, especially, sorry, glorify God. They enable many a sick person to preach a silent sermon which those around them never forget. Last question, and I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this with you to, to muse over yourselves, uh, and then I'll, I'll maybe throw up a slide um, as, as we're leaving on the other side. How can we be helpful to others who are suffering? But, but the question of pain, what should we do about pain? What should we think about pain? Is there a limit to the alleviation of pain that we should expect or that we should pursue? Again, there is a difference here, I think, when you read believers in an older generation that they didn't have the medical advances that we have, 
and they couldn't essentially count on being relieved of all of their pain. And today, you can't either, and there's often a trade-off. Do you, do you have the pain, or do you have your sharp mind? Uh, there are things that can take away your pain if you want to just fall into that rabbit hole, and there's, a, there's always a balancing act, right? There's a, uh, what are the effects of this thing over here, and what should we think about the pain that we, uh, we engage? Again, I want to be very, uh, very cautious, very, uh, very sensitive to the people in the room who suffer, uh, or people maybe listening later who suffer things that I have not suffered. I don't claim to be any kind of authority on this. And so listen to E.B. Power again. He says, we must not undervalue pain. It's a folly to say that we should be above being moved by it, that uh, as it's only for a time, we ought not to make anything of it. We shouldn't say that, he's telling us. To get comfort in my time of pain, I take up altogether a different line of thought. So far from making nothing of pain, I make a great deal of it. I believe it to be a very real trouble, a very great trial, something which makes a great demand upon my faith and patience and all my powers of body and mind, too. I consider it an insult to anyone suffering pain to make light of his suffering. On the other hand, I like to feel for another's pain. I should be sorry if when I saw a man or a woman in suffering, I did not feel something, and hence comes part of my comfort. Be persuaded, then, that God does not make light of your pain. I'm comforted in my suffering that the thought that God knows about it, and he feels for it too. Pain is no vulgar thing when we bring it into connection with the sympathies of God. So maybe something for you to think about later, or to talk about in your families. What should we think about pain and, and that part of our suffering? And then uh, I'll just throw this up uh, for you. Enduring suffering with one another, what are the truths? We could go through the same thing. You see the, the same on the other side. And then what about uh, usefulness? for those who are walking with others uh, in times of, uh, of sickness and uh, of suffering. Well, again, uh, sort of just some thoughts. Well, you can encourage and you can serve them. You can be humbled enough to be a servant. Uh, you can visit, call, and write often. You can labor not to forget those who are laid aside from life. Uh, you can pray with them. You can pray for them. You can remind them of the comfort and the power of prayer. You can suggest helpful reading, but you can do it cautiously. Right? Remember that, that whole idea of everybody else has an idea of what is going to be good for this person going through something that they're not experiencing. You've got to read this. You've got to turn to that. You've got to be, well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe just an encouraging word would be good. Maybe just a card. But if you know the person, you have a good relationship, uh, they're asking, where can I find some comfort? Well, this book would be great. Other resources I can help you find might, might be good. You may have one that you like. Don't avoid conversations about what's happening outside your experience. Don't go and sit with a sick or a suffering person and refuse to have conversations about what your kids are doing or, or what the neighbors are doing or what the church is doing or wh whatever it is. I went and met with Al Doskasil um, a few months before his death, and uh, he was put on hospice. And the question he came back to is, what's going on in the church? Right? Those who are sick and suffering and laid aside often really want to know what the Lord is doing in the world outside their bedroom. And so it's okay to encourage them and say, this is what God is doing. And you're not there with us, but you're there with us in spirit, and we, remind, we remember you and we want to encourage you. Be cheerful, be sincere. Don't, don't just speak in platitudes. Don't tell people they're going to get better if you have no idea that they're going to be better. Don't, don't tell the story of, well, you know, so-and-so was going through the same thing and it turned out great for them. You have no idea what the Lord has in store for the people you're talking to. Be cheerful, be sincere, be patient. If you are walking with somebody who's suffering, that can be a, a toll and a toil, to be honest. First Thessalonians tells us to be, to be patient with all. Uh, how not to be useful, don't overstay, don't read too much scripture, don't offer a lengthy prayer, don't offer a prognosis, don't promise too much. That's from a pastor's book, uh, but maybe you can find some ways to apply it. And I have one more slide, but we're not going to get to it. Uh, let's close in prayer today and, uh, and go and prepare for worship. Oh, gracious Lord and God, we uh, are seldom um, bold enough to, to thank you for the sicknesses that you give to us. They feel a burden to us, and, and we feel ground down like powder because of them.
We pray that you would give us thankful hearts in all that you have given to us as our portion. Remind us that you are at work, even if we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know what you're doing. Remind us that you're with us, that you're for us, that you're sovereign, that you're good. And keep your suffering people, even those among us who who may not be with us today in worship, uh, keep them looking to you. Encourage them, O Lord. Build them up. Strengthen them in the knowledge that you love them, though they're sick. We pray in Jesus' name.